Go ahead and pull out your uh, worship guide notes. There are a few fill-in-the-blanks there. It'll kind of help you keep along while we're gone, as well with the Rock Church pen. Uh, I encourage you guys to take notes. We're a big note-taker church and want to make sure that everything uh, that is happening here at the Rock Church, you guys can take notes on them and reflect on through them through the week. Um, but today, we are starting a brand new series uh, called From This Day Forward. Uh, usually in February, what we usually do is we have a relationship series or a marriage series or something like that type of series. Uh, in the past, we've done series on Songs of Solomon. We've had a series called Love Song. We had a really great marriage conference with that. Uh, but this year, we're going to do something just a little bit different. We are going to be talking about relationships, but I want to talk about uh, a couple principles of what makes a successful relationship happen, a successful relationship happen. And so today we're starting a four-week series from this day forward. And it's actually, it's gleaning from a book called From This Day Forward, written by Craig Rochelle. Really, really great book. If you guys ever want to find a book on uh, relationships that last, read that book. Really, really, really good. Um, but another reason why we're doing this series is from a verse in Lamentations chapter 3, 19 through 23. And I know it's kind of weird if you guys know uh, scripture, Lamentations is really not the book that you want to glean from. Um, but this has a really important principle that I want us to catch here. So if you can go in there, it's in your worship guide notes, you can follow along. But Lamentations chapter 3, this is out of the New Living Translation. We'll be preaching through that translation through this year. So for those of you who like to kind of stick with us, that's where we'll be going. But verse 19, this is what it goes. It's a gentleman, he's saying this. He says, the thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. So what a great way to start a relationship series, right? Kind of start off on more of a depressing uh, Kickstarter here. But I, wanna, I, I want you to see something because he, the, uh, the gentleman here that writes this, he makes a very, very important point. In essence, he's saying, do you know what? Every time I look at my past, I get sad. Every time I look at my, my mistakes, it causes me to get depressed. Every time I to see all the bad choices I've made, I, I, I don't, I'm not happy. I'm not joyful. I, and in fact, I, I get a little depressed and, and, and a, little, a little bit sad. And the reason we're going to start there, church, is because this series, I'm going to say this through the entire next four weeks, from this day forward, because we need to know God works with that type of mentality. From this day forward. From this day forward. And this is what I love with, about the author. This is what he says. He, he says, you know what? Uh, I've done some really messed up things and, and, and things I'm not happy about. But I do know something important about my God. He works at a from this day forward mentality. And for those of us who are married, you recognize this phrase. We say in our vows from this day forward. Uh, do you remember, you guys remember saying your vows a little bit? Do you guys remember what your vows, like the, the what, what you said? Because vows are important. That's the whole reason why we have the, the marriage. And I know we get really excited. I don't know if you're, uh, you're the guy who, uh, your pastor who married you. Uh, my pastor totally messed up things. Uh, and it, I was like nervous. Rick. I got married at 19 years old. Uh, so uh, 19 years old teenagers, keep that in your mind. Uh, but I got married at 19, and my wife, uh, she was 23, got married. I was a freshman in college. She was a senior in college. I thought I scored big, and so, and I did. Uh, but it was just kind of cool when I uh, found a senior in college girl. <laughs> gotcha. Um, but we got married, and then my pastor, he went over the vows, and uh, he just kind of messed them all up. But he really made it a big hit on this phrase, from this day, from this day forward. Do you know what that term means? Or what it really, really kind of holds? 
It should mean this, and this is what it does mean. It means that we recognize that in the past, I might have dated some other people. In the past, I might have messed around. In the past, I might have done things I'm not really happy about. But the whole point of this covenant marriage is that from this day forward, I'm all yours and you're all mine. God works like that. Because we read in scripture, he says, you know what, what you did in the past, as soon as you come to me and, and we have that one-on-one talk, we call it confession and repentance. As soon as we have that from this day forward, we can't continue. And we need to know this because we as human beings, we're not operating with this mentality of from this day forward. In fact, we operate more like from the time I knew you and all the rumors I've heard about you till the time goes and I'm dead and gone, that's all fair game. But God does not work like that. He does it. And so this author, he, he's talking about that, but then he begins to switch his mentality. Verse 21, he says, yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. Remember what? Remember that the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. How many of you guys love the fact that God's graces and mercies for you are new every single day? Do you know why they're new every single day? Because we need it. Because we mess up yesterday's. And if we'd operate on yesterday's mercies and graces, we just continue to mess up. But because God works in this mentality of from this day forward, he says, From this day, as you wake up, I've got new mercies for you because I love you that much. And I'm not going to focus on what you did yesterday. I'm not going to focus on what you did last year. I'm not even going to focus on what you did this morning before we had our one-on-one time. From this moment on, I've got some new mercies for you. And that's how God operates. And that's what is so great about the Jesus that we serve. He works from this day forward mentality with us so much that he gives us new mercies every single day. And if we mess up and we repent, guess what? He gives us a brand new clean slate to work with. And once we get that clean slate and we mess that one up, guess what? He's got another one for you. And I love that. I don't know if I should continue. There there needs to be a little bit more light bulbs going off here. Because we don't deserve it, church. We're not good enough. We're not perfect enough. In fact, it says in scripture, the wages of sin is death. Just as Sister Phyllis talked about this morning, we don't deserve any of this. But because he loves you so much, because he works from a this day forward mentality, He wants to do that for you. He wants to do that for you. So as we go through, I I hope you guys kind of lean into this because while this is a relationship series, whether you're married, dating, or single, whatever life it comes through, this is applicable to you. You can apply this to you. And so for this series, as we take in this approach to relationships, I know that we have all walks of relationships in this room. We have those who are, are married and maybe are doing well. We have those who are married and things are turbulent. We have people, those who are married, but not anymore. We have those who are dating. We have those who are single and want a relationship. It comes from all walks of life. And it's so easy in this series just to tune out because you think this does not apply to you. I encourage you to do exactly the opposite. Lean in. 
See what truths that God has for you in this relationship series, that God, that he is faithful and his mercies are great and new every day. And if we can approach that through that kind of lens and that kind of filter, I think God's going to speak to you very clearly. Because I know this, without a shadow of a doubt, each and every one of us can have a better relationship. No one should be in the place saying, oh, my relationship's good enough. Don't settle for that. Because guess what? While you think your relationship is good enough now and operating the mercies that God has for you for today, he's got even better ones for tomorrow. So don't settle. Continue to work. So here's the big question that we're going to ask ourselves today. Are great marriages possible? Are great marriages possible? I think those of us who maybe lived in a previous generation or maybe, maybe married for 20 to 30 years, it, it would be a yes. But if you'd go out to this generation right now and ask them this question, are great marriages possible? You'd get a no. You'd get a no. In fact, marriages are not possible. People are getting married a lot later in life in their 30s and 40s. Many choose not to be married, but actually call, it's called cohabitate, where it's, uh, it's, forgive my frankness, but you're just playing marriage without the importance of marriage. And so we'll just live together and have fun, and then we won't worry about that other important stuff. We have those that have seen so many marriages end in destruction. They say, I don't want any of that. I'm just going to go be an independent man or woman. We have people that just play along with relationships. They move from the next one to the next one to the next one to the next one where they really don't get any grounded in their relationships. And so I think it would be easy to say this generation says not good marriages, great marriages aren't possible. And for those of you who are wanting to be married, I'm just kind of keep adding on to this uh, kind of just roller coaster here. The statistics show that the odds are really stacked against you if you want to get married, if it's going to be good or not or whether I should say it this way, if it's going to be successful or not. Do you know what the odds are for you if you want to get married and have it work out? And I, have to, I tell everyone that I do a wedding for because they have to know this. It's about 50-50 odds that your marriage will work out when you get married now. 50-50. Okay, some of us are thinking, that's really not that bad. Let me put it in this way. If you were to jump on a plane... And the pilot comes on and says, hey, uh, we have about 50-50% chance of this plane landing. What are you going to do? You're getting off that plane, right? We don't take that risk. We run from that. But for some reason, we don't take it as seriously when it comes to our relationships. In fact, we bet against those odds. We think we're better than those odds. We think those odds don't work, against, that, that they actually work for us and not against us. And here's the sad thing. Those odds are for Christian couples. 50-50% chance for Christian couples. And this is why I'm talking about this, because I do believe marriage is a biblical concept. I believe God wants us to enjoy this life with our spouse. I believe God has someone for you. But I want to let you know, I want to try to give you a, a, a little better chance in these odds. How can you turn these odds in your favor? So I have to ask the question again, are great marriages possible? I've only been married for eight years, but I think I can answer this question for myself, is yes, great marriages are still possible. They are. But only if you do a few things right. 
I just preached in this last series, uh, Small Things, Big Difference. And this is really applies to marriage. It's the small things in marriage that can make a marriage work. And so, yes, great marriages are possible, but only if you do a few things right. And so, again, if you're single, don't tune out. Write as much notes as you can down possible. If you're a teenager and you're dating, write these notes down. If you're married, write these notes down. All right? Don't just go through here and think, oh, it's just another marriage thing and Valentine's Day is coming up. Write these down because I want your marriage and your relationships to work out. I want them to work out. So I'm going to talk about really quick. I don't like giving away the whole series away, but I'm going to let you know what's coming down the pipeline, what we're talking about. So week one, starting today, we're going to be talking about seeking God. We're going to be talking about seeking God. First blank in your notes. Week two, we're going to talk about to give some ground rules for some healthy, heated conversations, right? Arguments are healthy for your marriage and relationships. Iron sharpens iron, but doesn't happen without friction. But I'm going to give you some good biblical ground rules on how that works. Week three is going to be my favorite. Week three, we're going to be talking about having fun. 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 Okay, okay. A few guys were like, they're starting to tune in, kind of doing that. So let me kind of put this. That message is rated PG-13. So if you have kids that are in K through 5, take advantage of our awesome Kids Rock ministry. Send them there because we're going to be going in to some good things. Guys, I'm helping you out. All right? I'm helping you out. So write those notes. Do not miss that. Those guys are like, what, what day is that again? When you? Yeah, come to that one. That's going to be a good one. It's going to be really, really good. If you turn red really easy, maybe you put a lot of makeup on. Because we're going to be talking about some good things. I'm talking about having fun. In week four, week four, we're going to cap it off by talking about staying pure. Staying pure. And we're going to be talking about staying pure, and we're going to talk about don't give up. So that's where we're going to cap it off. But today, I want to show you the way to beat the odds, the 50-50 things that are stacked against you, is this concept in marriage. It's even more important before you're married than actually after you're married, is this concept of seeking God. Seeking God. And this is why it matters. Turn to Matthew 6, 33. It's a really famous verse. Most of us know this. It says, it says, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he, meaning God, will give you everything you need. I've preached about this verse a million times, but I love this. And I want to show you something very interesting in this verse. This verse has a very clear equation to your life. This plus this will equal this. What's the equation? It's this. Seek God plus, write this down, church. This is really good. Seek God plus live righteously equals... God will take care of you. Seek God plus live righteously equals God will take care of you. That could be the end of a sermon. If you would live your life according to this, you would approach your relationships according to this, God will take care of you. But the issue lands in this. We have a different idea of how God should be working in our relationships. If God would only give me a better spouse, then that would be better. If God would only give me a better sex life, then things would be better. If God would only give me better kids, my life would be better. But that's not how this works in a relationship. Seek God plus live righteously equals God will take care of you. What are you missing in that equation? 
What are you missing in that equation? And really, church, it's really that easy. It's not complicated. It's that easy. And people can testify to this. And what's really important about this, especially in this series, that when you seek God and live righteously, God will take care of you, including in your marriage and including in your relationships and including if you're single and trying to find a relationship. But here's the thing, church. You got to start there. You got to start there. I hear this all the time, and it shows that we get our relationship tips from culture rather than God, because it never fails that, you know, a young man or a young woman will come up and say, Vaughn, you know, I'm just waiting for the one. I'm just waiting for the one that God has for me. Like, if he can come in and just complete me, then I'm good to go. If I can find a, a, a man that just fulfills me, then I, I'll be fine. I'm just, I'm just waiting for the one. But let me share this with you. That's a completely flawed way to approach relationships. Completely flawed way approaching relationships. Why? Because when we say we need somebody to fulfill me, to complete me, you fulfill me. Ugh, don't listen to that. When you say that, it means that you need someone else to fulfill you. But when you do that, you're trusting someone that is completely flawed from the get-go, and they're going to eventually fail you. Married people, this includes your spouse and your kids. They're not the ones that are supposed to fulfill you. You see, as humans, God created us in his image, which means God is a relational God. So we are hungry and we're thirsty for that perfect relationship. But let me tell you, that doesn't come from someone or something. It comes from God himself. And that's why we have to kind of get rid of all the romance novels and all of all this other stuff. And now all the other perverted stuff like Fifty Shades of Grey and just toss that all out. And know that before you find your spouse, God's got to complete you first. That's how it works. And that goes down back to the original equation. You're seeking God and you're living righteously. So guess what? God's going to take care of you. That's how it works. Who fills our needs? It's God. But how does he do that? Now, so what I want to do just in the next few moments, I'm kind of rapid fire a few things that he'll take care of. So really quick, I want to reframe this concept of waiting to find a spouse and then what we do when we find that spouse. This is what you do. So number one is this one. God is my one. My spouse is my two. My God is my number one. God is my priority. My spouse comes after that. I'm going to say that one more time because it's so countercultural. God is your focus. Your spouse is in your peripherals. Focus on God, not your spouse. Meaning this, when it comes to relationships, God is always number one. That he needs to be the pinnacle of your life even before you enter a relationship with someone else. That has to be there. God needs to be the pinnacle of your life and their life. And when you get married, guess what? God still needs to be the pinnacle of your marriage. And actually, if you approach your relationships as this right here, you'll miss a lot of the trouble that will come up if you don't keep God priority in your life. 
you'll skip all most of that trouble. So going on number two, I will seek the one, that's God, while preparing for my two. I will continue to seek God while preparing for my two. So single people, while you're searching for your spouse, let me hit this really hard, don't be consumed with trying to find that someone. In fact, run after God. And I know this seems such like an old school teaching and preaching because trust me, I was sitting there in youth group in high school with my girlfriend. I'm like, you have no idea what you're talking about. We're good to go. I mean, we're, we're in church and we're all good. We got things figured out at 17 years old. La, 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 la. But let me tell you, I was missing this because it seems that I was seeking more after the girl than I was my God. And you know what happened? Relationships would fail. And the one that worked out is when I finally had it in gear, I'm going to seek God first. He'll take care of the rest. And he did. So we will seek the one while preparing for my two. Number three is this. When you find your spouse and you guys get married, here's this thing. I will seek the one with my two. I'll seek the one with my two. When you get married or enter a dating relationship, you still need to seek God. Because the only reason why it's coming together in the first place is God. So don't neglect the one, the author and finisher of our entire lives. Don't neglect him. Put him on the back burner and say, God, I got it from here, right? I will take on this. Like, no, 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 no. Keep God as pinnacle. So I will seek the one with my two. And if you're married, this means that God is still the pinnacle of your marriage. Still the pinnacle of your marriage. So much so that you're seeking God together. If you want to see a very beautiful marriage, seek God together. If you want to see a marriage that works out, seek God together. And let me tell you, this does not mean that, oh, we just go to church occasionally. But intentionally seeking God and discussing God and having conversations about God. Let me ask you this question, couples in the room. Let me ask you this question. If Sunday morning is the only time you talk about God, something is not working out. If Sunday morning is the only time you experience God together, you're missing out on something. If Sunday morning is the only time you have communion with God, not communion, but being with God, you're missing out. Because your relationship could be skyrocketed if you do these things through the week. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about seeking God. How do we seek God? Well, Vaughn, that may be easy for you because you're the pastor. Don't you just have to do that? No. No. In fact, you don't want the divorce rates among pastors. It's embarrassing. Happens all the time because they forget to keep God the pinnacle of their marriage. In fact, God says this is so important that he says if a believer does not take care of his household first, he's actually worse than an unbeliever. And he's referring to this part. So you can be doing all the good God stuff you can possibly do, but if you forsake your marriage, if you forsake your household, you're doing absolutely no good for you. And so that is why we're talking about this. Because we can go through the motions, you can go through this stuff, but guess what? The 50-50 odds are still stacked against you. But if you do these few things together and you seek God, I believe it would work in your favor. And so I want to talk about what does it mean to seek 
God. Harvard actually did a study. I, I love it when God decided something like thousands of years ago and science is like, oh yeah, he's right. This is, this is one of those things, this, this. Harvard study released a study. You can look at this up on Google. It says only one out of 1,246 couples got a divorce if only they did three simple things on a regular basis. And that's why I'm going to be talking about the three simple things. But I'm going to reread that statistic. Those are great odds. Only one couple out of 1,246 couples got a divorce if only they did three simple things. What are those three simple things? Number one is this. Pray together. Pray together. Keep in mind, this is biblical. But Harvard came along and said, God's got a point. Praying together. The first thing that you can do is pray together because this is kind of cheesy cliche, but it's going to work. A couple that prays together, finish it with me. A couple that prays together stays together. James 5.16, this is why he says it's so important to pray. It says, verse 16, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Why do we got to pray? Because relationships take work. And when you do work, you get scars. Scars need healing. And to do that in a marriage, you come together, even if you hate each other's guts at the moment, lay it aside and pray with each other. Pray with each other. And it goes on, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Great power and produces wonderful results. There's something powerful, church, when you pray. And what this really does is that it's not just praying. We think like we need to kind of and pray. It's, it's, it's in essence sharing your faith with one another. Sharing your faith with one another. Here's the thing, church. Again, counterculture, faith is not supposed to be private. Faith is not supposed to be private. But our culture has been telling us, keep your faith to yourself. If you keep your stuff to yourself and keep my stuff to myself, then we'll be good to go. And it, this stuff, this idea, this concept leaks into our marriages. But here's the thing. Culture does not define marriage. God defines marriage. And he says right here, your faith is not supposed to be private when you're married. It doesn't work. In fact, I did a funeral service for a woman a while back where uh, she was Christian and her husband was Hindu. And I was baffled. I'm like, how does that work? And he's like, well, she kept to herself, did her stuff on her time, then I did my stuff on my time, and then we both come together and, you know, had kids, and that's how it worked. But I could tell just by the way he talked that marriage was not life-giving. It doesn't work that way. So in a marriage, you're actually supposed to share your faith with one another. This is why we pray together in our marriage. You pray together and, and, and you just talk to each other. Now, what does this mean for the guys in the room? Because I know the guys are like, oh my goodness, I'm going to be waking up five for a Bible study and praying. And then my wife is like, woo, let's just, and I'm like, oh, I don't want to pray. I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is the little things here and there. Like for an example, this morning I woke up and my wife wasn't feeling well. My instinct as a husband is says, okay, let's get you to the doctor. But she wasn't needing that right now. She's like, could you just pray for me? And I did. Now, husbands, is that awkward? Yeah. I'll be honest. I have a hard time doing that. But it means a lot. 
you're sharing your faith. There's times through the week where I'll text my wife and say, hey, babe, I'm walking into a really hard meeting right now. Could you just say a quick prayer for me? And she prays for me. And then we do little things like at the dinner table, we start holding hands with all our kids and we just bless the food. Men, if you want a good, a little good pinpoint, take that blessing that you've been praying for the last like 30 years you learned from your granddad, add a little bit to it, like bless this food, oh Lord in heaven, no, 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 no. And then, and God, would you just take care of my family? Amen. Guys, if you want, if you want to be a little more attractive in your wife's eyes, start praying. It works. Praying, sharing your faith together, it works. So pray together. Don't neglect that. When was the last time you guys prayed together or even talked about prayer together? When was the last time? Because here's what we see. Here's what we see. And like I said, this message is going to be a little hard-hitting, but I want to wake this up in us this morning, is that a lot of times the spiritual things are left to our wives. And we think, she's got it. I don't need a part of it. I'm just going to go work, get the paycheck, and bring home the bacon. That's not how a godly marriage works. In fact, if I accept just on a little bit toes, because I know feminism is a really big thing right now, the husband, according to biblical concepts, leads the house spiritually. Now, wives, let me stand up for you a little bit. A lot of times our husbands don't do that. And we think if he's not going to do it, who's going to? So you take that mantle on your shoulders and you lead the way. Kudos to you. That's awesome. But husbands, I need you to grasp this. If you want to see your marriage flourish, if you want to see your kids flourish, lead your house spiritually. And you don't have to wake up at four in the morning and have a three-point sermon ready for your kids. It's not, that's not going to work out. You don't have to lead a long, hour-long prayer service. That's not going to work out. But it's the simple things like, hey, let's just pray over this meal together. It's the simple things like, yeah, I can read this little one-page Bible story to you. Or simply as saying, man, I'm so glad God put you in my life. Little things like that. It's sharing your faith with each other. It holds so much meat that your marriage needs to survive. So pray together. Throughout the day, text each other. Ask for some prayers. It's so easy. So what? Number one, pray together. Number two is this. Discuss the Bible together. Discuss the Bible again. Again, some people, and I, I've seen marriages work like this and it works out for them. It doesn't work out for me. But some people can wake up in their marriage and do like a Bible reading plan because guys, I know I'm trying to help you out here. That doesn't work all the time. So wives, if you're going to hear this message and go to the Bible bookstore and try to Bible, Bible devotional and say, we're doing this every single morning, that's probably not going to work out. But I know this, that when you discuss the Bible together, again, brings more meat into your marriage. Jill and I, what, what, what we do is we have actually our own different times during the day because we have learned that we have different grinds throughout the day. So she wakes up. She can't do her devotional plan right now because the kids are screaming. Kids are, you know, doing their stuff in the morning that kids do. I'm getting ready for the day, so I can't do that. So what happens is at the day, I go to the office, do my own devotional plan, Jill, usually at the end of the day, we'll kind of trade off with kids. I'll take the kids and she'll get a little hour to herself for a little bit. That's when she does her devotional plan. And this is what I love about this. If you're seeking God and live righteously, he takes care of everything, right? 
More times than not, even though we're on two separate plans, God speaks to us because we're married, and he understands that, he speaks to us about the same things. And so when we come together, God's like adding a little bit more coals in the fire of our marriage, kind of brings and heats it up a little bit and says, okay, your marriage is going to work out. Why? Because we're reading the Bible together. Reading the Bible. See, I think so many times, church, because this, this sounds super practical, doesn't it? It's because it's meant to be that way. It's not supposed to be complicated. It's not. You don't have to go out and get a Bible devotional plan and wake up early. You don't have to, you know, try to bring a preacher's message. You don't have to do any of that. But it's as simple as, like, downloading the Bible app and say, hey, you know, I read this today. What do you think about it? Or I read this today. Let me share just a little bit with you. It brings so much life to your marriage. To discuss the Bible, you don't have to do any of these things. In fact, Deuteronomy 6 gives us a clear picture about this. Deuteronomy 6 says this. It says, you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Verse 7, I love this. Repeat them again and again and again. And I'm adding more agains in there, but I'm trying to make a point. Again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home. And when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, or when you're just getting up, what he's saying is just bring it up in a natural conversation. And let me tell you, if you don't do this already, it's going to be awkward for the first couple of times. But if you just keep on doing it, it will start to become natural for you. Babe, you know, God spoke to me a little bit this morning. I mean, this is, I'm going to share this with you. Or my wife says, you know what, man, I, I just read this. Like, what do you think about that? And let me tell you, couples, it's not boring. Because you know why? Because God's in the mix. He's bringing life to it. And he brings life to your marriage. With this scripture, he says, just have a normal conversation about it. You know, we just have our community group sign-up tables in the back. Jill and I, that's why we attend community groups together. Because we discuss the Bible. We talk about God. And when you do that, again, in your marriage, it's like adding coals to the heated fire and it's like pouring gasoline on the flames. It just, it helps you out. It beats those odds. So pray together and discuss the Bible together. Number three is this, attend church together. Attend church together. I will tell you right now, and I love it because it doesn't reflect this today. I love it, I love it. But I remember when I first began here, our church was mostly women. Our church was mostly women. And I would ask, like, where's, where's your husband at? Not like I'm like, you need to get your husband here because that doesn't work out. Don't drag your husband to church. But I'm like, Where, like where's your husband? And he's like, oh, he's just home, just hanging out, doesn't really like church. Doesn't, it's not really his cup of tea. I said, okay. So I just began praying that something would begin to stir. And today, we have couples that attend church together all the time. And let me tell you, if I could ask you, you would say, yes, our marriage has been better because this is a priority. And so you attend church together. And when, when I say this, I'm not just talking about to, to go to church when you feel like it, but actually make it a priority in your marriage and relationships that we are going to attend church together. Even Jesus, even Jesus made this a priority. You can look in Luke 4, 16. It says that Jesus, uh, it says that Jesus as usual. Well, yeah, you can look up there. He went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read scriptures. Here's what I want you to point out here. Jesus went to church as usual, meaning this it was a habit that he had. 
Let me ask you this question. Is going to church together, is that a priority in your marriage or is it not? I've heard this saying a little bit. Uh, I go and run into people and they'll say, Pastor, I'm so glad we decided to come to church together. I'm so glad we decided to wake up and go to church today. And I, I, I know what they're saying, but in, in my mind, I'm like, isn't that predecided? I mean, to, today, and I, again, I'm having a hard time preaching this because it's so counterculture on how we, we treat our marriages and our children. But if you show that church is just something that if you want to do it, you can do it. You're training up your kids in the way that they're going to go. And I've heard this saying that stay-at-home parents don't raise go-to-church kids. And that's true. In fact, when I was growing up, I, I thought, like, man, my, my mom is like, like man, you're kind of a little, like, overboard with this. But, like, I would go out to my prom, be out till 3, 4 in the morning. And then my mom would be knocking on my door about 8 o'clock, says, hey, we're going to church. Like, okay, mom, I'll see you there. She's like, no, 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 no. You don't get it. You're going to get up. You're going to get dressed. And you're going to come to church with me. And I thought that was so overbearing because teenagers, I've been there. But let me tell you, when I went to college and I was, had my own freedom, my own thing, you know where I, where I was Sunday morning? I was at church. And because I was at church, I was being fulfilled by God. And because of that, I knew that going out and experiencing the world, I had that sense of conviction from the Holy Spirit. You'll see how this all lines up. And because of that, God brought me Jill. One thing after another thing after another thing. Because my parents made a priority, we're going to attend church together. And let me tell you, it wasn't just my mom. You know who was sitting right next to my mom every time? My dad. They would attend church together. And they were so, it made such a priority in their marriage that it stuck with me, even when I didn't like it at first. So married couples, attend church together. And not just don't wake up and say, should we go to church together or not? It's a little cold outside. Should we stay in? Like, what, like I'm not feeling well. Super Bowl's tonight. Like, should we just go ahead and start the, you know, have the pre-party of the party? Have those? Like, no, 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 no. Like, church is important to you. It's important to you. Scripture says, scripture says don't neglect the gathering of church. So don't lose that. Attend church together. See, it, it, it's super simple. It, it's, it's not complicated. And the reason I'm saying these things, that these marriages, that to do these things, that, that to pray together, to discuss the Bible together, to, to go to church together, it turns that 50-50 odds, it mixes it all up, and it brings favor into your marriage. This has been God's way for thousands of years. And for some reason, Harvard finally got it and says, oh yeah, God's right. So maybe we should be paying attention to God's ways in our marriage. Maybe things would work out better. Because let me tell you, 50-50 odds are not good odds. And to top that off, each time a person gets divorced and remarried, those odds worsen with each marriage. And it doesn't work out. And I'm, I'm not up here, please don't hear me, that Pastor Vaughn's got it all figured out, so you need to listen to Pastor Vaughn. No, Jill and I, we fight just as the rest of y'all do. But we hold some biblical, godly principles in our marriage, including these three. And because of that, 
Where we are weak in our marriage, God makes strong. But you got to keep these three things together. And this is why. Because this, and this, this scripture doesn't just work with marriage, but works with every area of your life. That if your life is built upon God, the work you put into it, it's not wasted. In fact, Psalms 127.1, it says, Unless the Lord builds a house, the work of the builders is wasted. Which means if you're building on your own foundation, if you're building on a false construct you got from culture, if you're building on the things that you heard from your friend that got divorced six times in a row, trying to take their marriage concepts, if you're trying to do all these different things, if it's not God, it's bound to fail. And this is why we have to pay attention to Scripture. And that's why he says if you build it on God, build it on Jesus, your work into it is not wasted even if you think it is. It's not wasted. Angie, if you want to come up. I want you to beat the odds. And this is just an intro to this four-week series. But I want to let you know, I want you to beat the odds. I want you to know that a great marriage is possible. And more important, a great marriage is something that God wants for you. He wants you to thrive in your marriage. He doesn't want you to suffocate. He wants you to enjoy your marriage. He doesn't want you just to endure. Oh man, how many people are married and they just try to get through it? They kind of take the whole like till death do we part thing a little bit too seriously. Like what would happen if we would approach marriage, beat the odds and we loved it? What would happen if people were married and it was life-giving? What would change? More importantly, what would change with this next generation? They would see that, yeah, a great marriage is possible, but only through Jesus. And nowhere and nothing else can complete me. Man, if you would just look at the statistics today, the rapid rate of how many people just engage in pornography, married couples engaging in that stuff, the rapid rate of divorce, the rapid rate of like, if it's broke, I'm just going to throw it away and not try to fix it. You see, something needs to change because this is why the concept of marriage is so important. I'm going to bring it back to the communion this morning. It says that we are the bride of Christ. It says that there's going to be a day where the bride and the bridegroom will come together, meaning that Jesus will come and meet his church. And so this marriage concept is not just a man and a woman coming together and being married. It's actually the reflection of God and his church. And so if people see the marriages that they are today, how are they going to perceive God and his church? That's why this is so important because it's much bigger than our marriage. It's much bigger than our kids. It's about the day that Jesus comes back and takes his church home. And we want people to jump on, on board as much as we can. And so if that means that we need to reshape our marriages a little bit according to the biblical construct that God gives us, we better do that. But it's not hard. Pray together. Discuss scripture together and attend church together. It's as easy as that. And I would hate to say, you know, because a lot of times, you know, God would say something and we don't take it as seriously. But as soon as a big wig like Harvard says, oh, yeah, he's right. 
we need to pay attention to it. Because I'd rather have those odds, one out of 1,246, rather than 50-50. What odds do you want in your marriage? What odds do you want in your relationship? So that's what we're going to be talking about. Seeking God, pursuing after Him, having fun, staying pure. I mean, not all these messages are like today, but I'm trying to give it to you as plain as day what this is going to be about. But from this point, from this day forward, I want your marriages to change. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this message. I thank you, Lord, for the series. I'm really excited to preach through this as we talk through all the various things, God. Lord, as we talk about our great marriage as possible, Lord, I think I can confidently say yes and amen. Father, as we talk about uh, going through the ground rules, as we talk about uh, just having those fights that we have in our marriage, as we talk about having fun, and as we talk about staying pure, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit above my voice would speak to our relationships. God, I want our marriages to be built upon you as the cornerstone. And God, I thank you for that. I just got two things this morning. The first one is this. I desperately want you to have a successful relationship. I want you to have a marriage that is really from this day forward mentality. That yeah, we messed up in the past. That yeah, we may have done some things that we're not proud of. But from this day forward, with my spouse, from this day forward, while I'm waiting for my spouse, from this day forward, God, you are our priority. And Father, I just want to lift up every marriage in this room right now, whether it's going great or maybe it's turbulent. Lord, I pray right now that your spirit would intervene. That God, that while they're maybe about to have some spouts or they're about to leave or whatever is about to, that God, that your spirit would enter in that situation. And that, Lord, that you would breathe life into that couple. Lord, I also want to give you praise for having couples here who have been married for 40, 60, uh, even I believe one of them was 70 years, God. Father, thank you for such a great testament and a great picture. But here's my last call. As we're talking about marriage, Jesus first wants to enter a relationship with you. Because before you pursue anything else in this world, Jesus needs to be the priority of your life. Jesus wants to be the center of your life. He wants to have this life-giving relationship in your life. If you're sitting here and saying, you know what, I don't have that at all. Jesus is not my priority. Jesus is not the cornerstone. Jesus, I don't have this relationship with Jesus. If that is you and you want to make that change today, would you just slip your hand up? Anyone here? Amen. Amen. Anyone else? Yeah, I see that. Yeah. It's as simple as this. We can start it as a prayer to say, Father, come into my heart. Lord, would you make this new relationship in me? From this day forward, God, I'm no longer my old self, but I'm the new creation that you've called me to be. God, from this day forward, I'm not selfish in this life that I'm living, but Lord, I'm focused on you. That God, from this day forward, I'm going to seek after you. I'm going to pursue righteousness. And from this day forward, Lord, I know that you have it all taken care of. 
It's as simple as that. But now you have to really live from this day forward. Go forward from this place. And guess what? We'll partner with you. We'll walk beside you. We'll help you out. But just remember, it's from this day forward. Yes and amen. Church, can you give it for the three people that gave their hearts to Christ this morning? Come on. It's good.